Does being faith-centered even matter? Does that help when we are figuring out what our camp experience is going to look like? On this episode of the podcast, we're talking about the secularity and religiosity conversation happening in our world today, the difference it makes for parents as they're making choices about what their kids are going to be doing for camp and experiences like it. And make sure to hit the like, subscribe, or follow buttons wherever you're listening to this right now. Pull up a camp chair. It's time to get started. Welcome to the Sacred Playgrounds Podcast, where we dive deep into theology, research, and practical wisdom for camps, retreat centers, and other key ministry spaces. I'm your host, Jared Rendell, camp enthusiast and part of the Sacred Playgrounds team. This podcast features Dr. Jake Sorensen, a scholar and practitioner who's helping leaders think more deeply about outdoor ministry and the impact it's making. Wonder with us what God might have in store at your Sacred Playground. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the playground. It's Jared here with Dr. Jake Sorensen. Um, welcome. Hey, Jake. Hey, Jared. Good to good to see you, my friend. Good to connect again. Things are melting, right? We're mid we're mid March here and and things are melting out there, which which brings with it. And this feels natural to me at this point. Like we're starting to think about what's what's the summer like in the spring, in the summer. We're thinking about that now. Um, both in what it's going to be like and like we're trying to figure out some child care now and um, that includes what, you know what week is this going to be like what are we going to do this week what are we going to do that week and my my wife and I had a we have a chuckle still about this because to me this time feels natural but like registrations have been open for two and three months for for summer things right for camps or for other kinds of things she's like she didn't think i believed her right away when you know we're like happy new year okay now what do we do in this summer and the registrations are out and we have a chuckle about that because she is a a more plan ahead than i am in general in life but those things are open and and they're going so this is when parents are trying to figure out what's it going to be like what are we going to do for camps and activities and child care this summer were you a multiple camp kid like we know like we've talked about before like you went to camp did you go to other stuff? Like, were there other camps that you went to? We did other stuff, but we didn't. Do, I didn't do like multiple camps in the same summer. Sure. You know, we would usually do a, a summer vacation uh, as a family um, when 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 all three of us. I'm one of three three brothers, and uh, so we would do that during the summer. I would I was usually involved in like little league, and so we had other activities and things like sure. that. Um, but we were also a little bit um, kind of the the late latchkey generation where we got left at home and we went out and just got into Go trouble it out. or went exploring different places yeah. and, you know, got together with friends and hung out. So yeah, so yeah I did camp a, a couple of times, but um, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't that kid that was shuffled from camp to camp to camp. That's a lot more common now. Um, either there's, there's camps, you know, like in the Northeast mm-hmm. where they go for the whole summer or parents are looking for something for their kids every week. So they're, they're in some sort of a program or a day camp or an overnight camp. Um, and yeah, it's a, that's a very different experience than what I experienced for sure. We were, I was kind of in the middle. I did, especially later in like in high school years, I did a lot of camps. Like we did, like we did a, you know, we did a Bible camp. We did a scout camp. We did a vacation. We did it. So there ended up being kind of in the middle. There was a chunk of stuff. I still feel like I, you know, when 
cause trouble in the neighborhood enough. <laughs> but I, we feel that for sure. We, you know, we end up looking in these blocks, these week by week, and what kinds of things are they doing? And I was thinking about that when, you know, we were talking about what we're going to lift up today. There's all these different kinds of things, all these different kinds of uh, experiences, even camp experiences, and what kind of what kind of thing, what kind of camp you're going to do, what kind of experience you're going to have. Parents are, as they're signing up, they're setting expectations for what that's going to be like, for what the, you know, the outcomes of, of that is going to be like. And so the kind of place you claim to be makes a big difference. Absolutely. Which lifts up, which lifts up kind of what we're going to talk about today is this, um, this idea of like, sort of what kind of camp you are, what do you claim to be, what do you claim is the most important thing, and specifically the level of faith-centeredness that you are claiming there. Yeah, th- this is a good framing. I think we, we live in a world of options and expanding options. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it's more so than it was 10 years ago, um, more so than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Um, it, it's just there, there are so many options for how to spend our time mm-hmm. and for how to involve our children in different things. There's, uh, you know, organized events and organized sports and, and camps of all sorts. Um, and, uh, for a parent, it's really, it really is overwhelming, um, to try to think of, okay, how do I raise my child in a sort of well-rounded way? You know, mm-hmm. you have all these articles about parenting and, 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 and what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's a lot of pressure on parents. Um, but scheduling for sure. I, I hear you there in terms of, um, like, how are we going to find time to do these things? And if we're talking about carving out a full week for camp or two weeks for camp, um, where is that going to be? Because we've got, you know, band and we've got <laughs> sports and we've got all these other activities that um, we also want them involved in. At the end of the day, we got to pick our priorities. We have to decide what is important for for us and for our kids and to choose a place that is a faith centered camp is, a, is an intentional choice that we're making. Like if we're going to say they're going to go to Bible camp, that's a, that's an intentional choice that we're making as a, as a parent. And like I said, that sort of sets some, you know, sets some hopes and expectations for what that, for what that might be like. Yeah. There's, there's tons of camps. Like if I want to send my kid to camp, I can send them to any number of camps, you know, in our area that are in a reasonable driving distance. Um, so if I'm choosing a faith-based camp, I'm doing that intentionally. Mm-hmm. I could say, you know what, that doesn't really matter to me. I'm going to send them to a different type of camp. Um, and they would have a great experience. You know, there's a lot of other great camps out there that are not faith-based camps or, you know, explicitly Christian camps. Um, and they'll, they'll have a positive experience there. Yeah. So we we overlay this to these, these questions and these wrestlings and priorities and figuring it out with a different, uh, a different time than when we were growing up. And as you said, even the last 10 and 20 in terms of our, um, the, we've talked about the public discourse around Yes, some of it political, but but faith and religion has been in there too. We're in a different time in terms of faith and faith in society than than we were. The secularity of of things as uh, in wrestling with a faith based of things is is different than it was. Absolutely, yeah, and it's changing. It's evolving, right? And we can mm-hmm. feel that. We can see that. We can see that in the numbers. You know, so we get all these these numbers from Pew Research and from Barna Group and from these other research organizations that show a decline in religiosity in the United States, but also in other places in the world. Um, and so religious affiliation is down. 
um, identification as Christian is down. And the numbers are actually really stark when you when you look at them in like a, a line graph or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you look at uh, Pew Research, uh, for example. And so, you know, when we think of uh, the United States, historically, there has been a very high level of religiosity in the United States. Um, a lot of the, you know, the, the original colonies were founded on, on premises of religious freedom. Mm-hmm. And so uh, then we had the Great Awakenings in the 1800s. And then you could argue there was a, a Great Awakening in the middle of the 20th century with, uh, you know, American evangelicalism and uh, a real a backlash against uh, kind of communist um, atheistic principles and a return to church. That was part of what we did as a society. And that's when we got, you know, in God, we trust on our currency um, mm-hmm. and things like that. So there's this there's this ethos in America that that religion is part of who we are um, and it's part of the fabric of our society. And that's still the case. And we see these incredible declines. And so what do I mean by incredible declines? Well, I mean, so 2012 was the real big milestone um, that that I like to identify. And that is the the year in which those who identify as as one of the Protestant religions. And so that's, you know, everything from Lutheranism to evangelicals and Presbyterians and Methodists and so forth. That declined to under half of the U.S. population for the first time in history. And that happened in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, the, the the share of those who are Protestant has continued to decline, along with those who uh, claim to be Christian in general. And so, for example, as recently as 2007, it was over three quarters of the population identified as Christians. It was 78 uh, percent. Previously, it had been 90 percent. Um, but that number now in 2021 was down to 63% of the population. Mm. So under two thirds that identified as Christian. Now it's still over half, right? I mean, we're, we're still, um, you know, way more religious as a society than a, than a place like Europe, uh, for example, most of the sure. countries in Europe. Um, but these are, these are incredible uh, shifts um, in culture. Meanwhile, um, the, the thing that has been rising is not necessarily atheism. You know, there's this there's this idea that that atheism is just the absence of religion, but really atheism is like, no, I am I am not religious. I do not believe in God. What is what is on the rise is this this group that claims no religious affiliation. They're they're sometimes known as the nuns, Mm -hmm. N-O-N-E-S, nuns, um, because they say none of the above when asked about a religion. Um, And this would include some of the people that might say they're atheist or agnostic, but it also includes people that say, you know what, I'm just not interested. I'm not even interested in this question. Um, That number has now overtaken Catholicism as the most prevalent religious category in the Pew Research study. And so if you lump all these people together Mm. um, that say either they're atheist, agnostic or nothing in particular, um, that number um, as as of again 2021 was up to 29 percent of the U.S. population, and Catholicism is right around 21, 22 percent, and so wow. it has overtaken Catholicism as the as the largest you know religious subgroup, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that is sort of the you know it looks alarming when you when you see the statistics like that, and that's that's what that's where people say oh we're becoming more secular. Um, there's this decline in religious affiliation. Um, that's the primary thing. Now, now the interesting thing is a lot of those folks that would claim no religious preference um, would still say that they believe in God. 
or believe in a higher power or believe in the spiritual realm. Um, a, a lot of times it is um, a reluctance to uh, identify with a particularly a particular religious group. So it's a reaction against some of the religious teachings that they hear, mm-hmm. usually in the public sphere. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, pop culture references to Christianity, to religion in general, um, and to the violence that religion has caused and is causing, the repression of a lot of, um, certainly in the United States, some of the, the evangelical religious groups have become known as what they're, for what they're against. Um, you know, they're anti-gay. Sure. Anti-abortion. Yeah, that's the brand. Anti, yeah, so, so it, they, they become known for what they're against. Uh, rather than what they're for a lot of times Hmm. Um, and so people react against that and so they might still say they believe in god but what what does that mean you know if you're not if you're not part of a religious group and you're not part of a worshiping congregation what does that mean then then we've talked a little bit before about the kind of anti-institutionalism that you know some of the summer staff uh have you know they're coming up and they're not their first reaction and you know to more organization more institutionalism there's usually not a positive one yeah so so i so then i hear from you know i i work with camp directors a lot right and i I talk with them about you know the now what shall we do sort of sort of questions um especially if they live in an area that is more secular than others and so for example the northeast um and the west you know uh the northwest pacific northwest and so forth are um would be considered more secular, quote unquote, in terms of lower levels of religiosity than the Midwest mm-hmm. and the South in our country. And so if you're a camp director in some of those places, um, okay, fewer and fewer people, or at least as a percentage of the population, um, are Christian or, or claim to be Christian or want anything to do with the Christian church or religion in general. So now what do I do as I'm running a summer camp? And so, you know, I, I had a conversation with some camp directors um, the other day, and you know, one would say, I, "I'll get I'll get questions from parents about, you know, how religious are you, you know, or how much <laughs> do you, how much do you like emphasize this Jesus stuff?" And I don't know what to tell them. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> right? Because imagine if, imagine if you're a pastor and someone. <laughs> Someone comes up to you and asks that question about your church. Hey, how Jesus-y is your church? How Christian is your church? Yeah. Are you like really religious or just sort of religious in your church? Right. I mean, that's that's the that's the correct that's the actual uh, comparison to make. You know, right. as we think of, okay, who are we? Are we a Christian ministry? If we're a Christian ministry, if we are the church, we are part of the church. You know, a lot of times people think of church and they equate it with congregational ministry. Right. Uh, but the church is much broader than that right mm-hmm. there are so many expressions of church um and camp is one of those the camp camp is church too i, I firmly believe this mm-hmm. and, and and so i i think your i think your, your rather cynical question is right on you know in terms of like okay if you're a pastor if you're a minister of god's word and people say how christian are you <laughs> you know it, you, i'm hoping that your response isn't well so so we don't really emphasize it we just do it a little bit at the time we're kind of jesus meh we're right about yeah. here <laughs> right <laughs> um but the question is an honest question from the parent it is. right it absolutely because it's is. it comes from a place of suspicion mm-hmm. it comes from a place of misunderstanding of mm-hmm. what 
Christianity and the gospel is about. And it comes about because of the distortion of Christianity in popular culture and, and what people say Christianity is, what Christianity does. Because oftentimes we see some of the ramifications of certain religious groups, uh, violence that they have towards mm-hmm. others, or at least speaking against entire populations of people. And the words God hates fill in the blank right. certain people. When we say stop right there, God is love. Period. God is love. God loves the people of this world so much that God sent God's only begotten son. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and so we, we can refute these things of the, the, the God hates crew. Um, and those are some of the things that people have in their minds when they're saying, okay, what kind of, what kind of Christianity is this? You know, yeah. are you going to turn my kid into some raving religious lunatic? Mm-hmm. That's, that's more the question, you know? So I think, I think anytime a camp director gets a question from a parent, how, how religious are you? Um, what they're really asking is, are you going to turn my child into a raving yeah. lunatic? Because we can't help, but we see everything that the, the our, our reality of our political, um, you know, overlays the same thing because we have this tendency to see a uh, tendency to see things on a spectrum, to see things as either this end of a thing or that end of a thing. And we know, you know, this end of the thing feels crazy and that end of the thing probably feels crazy. So in a way, the, a lot of these parents are actually looking for something that is, you know, maybe, maybe more middle of the road of sorts, but it's of course a lot, a lot messier than that. And yeah. a lot more nebulous than that. Right. It's, it's a lot more like a scribble than it is a straight line. So, but the, but the, the question is out there and the conversation clearly needs to happen. Absolutely. And we come to this because of the way that secularity works in our society and in our culture. And so when people hear the word secular, they, they often jump to one of two definitions of the word. And, 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 and one of them is this understanding of, okay, there's, there's sacred space and there's secular space. This would be the first definition of secular. Now, when I'm, when I'm defining secular here, I'm drawing from a philosopher named Charles Taylor. Uh, he's Canadian. Um, and he's got, got this book that's like a thousand pages long called The Secular Age. So I do not recommend you read it, but um, unless you're really <laughs> into philosophy. Um, but we're going we're gonna to try to, one, eh? you know, yeah, it's a long one. We're going to try to sum up some <laughs> of his ideas here real quickly, um, just so we understand where we are and some of the forces that are at work here. And so if you think of kind of the secular one definition of, okay, sacred space in, in the sanctuary, in the church, in the cathedral, and then secular space being the, the rest of the world. So there's this division between secular space um, and, whole, and sacred space or holy space. Um, I might have a, a secular job. I might have a sacred job, things like that. Okay. Um, the second definition of secular is the one that we more often use um, or more often think of when we think of sacred versus secular. We think of it as a, a competition for space and time. Um, and so the secular mm-hmm. tendencies would be over and against religious tendencies. Um, and so when we say that society is getting more secular, it means that it's, it's edging out the, the sacred. And so you, you kind of get this, this, this sense mm-hmm. of when, when people talk about, Oh, our culture is becoming more secular. Uh, they're not allowing prayer in public schools. Sure. They're, they're, you know, things like that are, are working from the second definition of secular um, that there's this um, almost a zero sum game between um, the sacred and the secular competing against one another. And we've got to defeat the forces of Satan or defeat the forces of evil, defeat the forces of secularity that are coming at our society. We have to edge it out 
and and get more Christian space. That is a misunderstanding of what secular is in our society. Um, And Taylor really points this out. And so what Taylor says is that we have come in our in our society in the West, Western world, um, to this third definition of secularity. And this third definition of secularity is is really a a time and a space when religion is no longer assumed. It's no longer just part of the ethos. So if you kind of like think back to the Middle Ages, everything Mm -hmm. was enchanted, right? There was magic. There were angels and demons, and you just accepted this as part of reality, right? Mm-hmm. There were some things that we can't explain. Those are part of the divine realm. I need, I need religious instruction in order to understand these things. We have come to a time when that is no longer assumed. Like we can live in sort of this, what, what Taylor calls a disenchanted reality, where we are constantly in the imminent frame, things that are in front of us, things that are part of this present reality not concerned with the transcendent things of the beyond things of eschatological nature. Um, I can be concerned with my present day in life and I don't even have to, I don't need religion. I don't need to worry about that sort of thing because I can explain my life and I can live my life with or without that. Now these folks would acknowledge that religion is an option, right? That's the way that some people choose to live their lives. You know, and some people, you know, for them, that gives happiness and that gives some sort of meaning to life. But other people don't need it. And so it becomes sort of this one option among many. So if you think of, again, the difference of secular two and secular three, sometimes we see those holistic pie charts of, you know, who who I am as a person. And I've got to take care of my mental health and Mm. my emotional health. Yep. And right. And my spiritual health becomes like part of that pie. Right. Or my religious health. It's part of my life, right? And, and, and so the question then becomes, okay, how big of a part of my life is it, right? right? That's secular two understanding. Secular three understanding is more of a, a smorgasbord. <laughs> you know, I can choose different pieces of pie and I don't even have to, I don't even have to taste the spiritual one or the religious mm-hmm. one. And so that's more of the world that we, that we are living in now. Um, and again, as we talk about options of parents, you know, religion is one option <laughs> and I can, I can raise good kids maybe without having that in my life at all. That's the secular three understanding in which we live. And I think that helps frame our understanding of, okay, then what, what should we do um, in the church? What should we do in terms of uh, the camping world? Do you like what you're hearing? Go deeper into the research and best practices of Christian camping for sacred playgrounds, the book. This brand new resource is Jake's most comprehensive contribution to the field of outdoor ministry. It is loaded with stories and research from Christian camps across the country and around the world. It traces the history and theology of outdoor ministry, focusing on the five fundamental characteristics of Christian summer camp. This is the premier resource for Christian camp professionals, church leaders, camper parents, and all those passionate about camping ministry. Order Sacred Playgrounds wherever you get your books. All right, welcome back, everyone. So, Jake, we have 
you know, we've talked about how we're making these different choices, the different priorities of, of these different things. When we think about camp, not every camp necessarily, um, you know, fits in the same bucket. You've, you've let us know already that about three quarters of camps in the country are, would be kind of a secular label and about a quarter would be faith-based label. But even those don't necessarily all um, have the same experience or, or fit in the same bucket. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, when you think of uh, the, the, the camping movement in general began as a religious movement as well, you know, so, so, we, right. so the early YMCA camps, the early scout camps, uh, the early campfire girls camps, you know, those they had religious components and some of them were very faith centered. And over time, those became more secular. Um, and, and, and so that now, you know, again, three quarters of the camps, um, you know, a lot of them do really great programs. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, have, they're very relational, they're very participatory, all these wonderful things that we talk about camp, but they're opting out of the faith piece, right? That's, that's an optional thing. And so if a quarter of the camps are religiously affiliated, they're at least nominally Christian. Um, some of them are historically tied to the Christian denominations. Um, and some of them say we're a Christian camp. They might be private. They might be, uh, even for profit. Christian camps. And so there's a lot of different types of Christian camps out there. But what I try to do is divide them uh, based on uh, the faith-centered characteristic of the camp. And so some of these that, that are, that are quote-unquote religiously affiliated or Christian camps, um, they're more nominally Christian. And I would, I would call this first type, you know, so, so they're historically Christian. Maybe they have some uh, Christian practices here and there. But by and large, they're, they're very, it's very tough to distinguish them from secular camps. Um, they, they don't have a faith-centered emphasis um, at all, really. Um, they've, they, they've come to become more like the secular camps. Um, the second would be what I would call compartmentalized. And the compartmentalized ones are sort of the ones that are in the middle. Sort of the ones that are, that are trying to respond to that parent's question, how Jesus-y are you, or how, how religious is your camp, um, with well, we do the religious things sometimes and we do the fun things other times. Um, and so compartmentalized, if you think of that, the, the, religious, the religious activities are siloed. So there might be some faith-centered things, um, but they're not going to be integrated into the entire camp experience. So it's not a faith-centered experience. It's a faith-adjacent experience, so to speak. Hmm. Uh, you might even have you know, outside clergy members come in to lead the religious things. Um, and the counselors, sometimes the counselors are taking breaks during that time. And so it's not well integrated. Um, they're not doing the constant action reflection uh, about faith things. Um, and then um, if we if we move uh, further down the spectrum, we, we, we see the faith centered camps, the ones in which and that, these are the ones that we talk about, you know, here here at Sacred Playgrounds, the ones that that have faith at the center of their program. It's integrated into everything that they do. Now, these would fall into actually two categories. And so I would I would I would consider some of them to be. Um, integrated ministries in which they see themselves as part of the larger ecology of faith formation. Um, they're connected with congregational ministries. They're trying to um, connect the young people with these ministries. They're not seeing themselves as sort of the standalone uh, experience. Whereas the other ones, which I would call disconnected ministries, they would at least function as a, a set apart ministry, you know, an Island of faith formation. We're going to try to form disciples and then say, go out into the world uh, without, n- without remembering how connected we are with the home, with congregational ministries and so forth. And so denominational camps tend to be more of integrated ministries, but not always. Um, some of them have been drifting farther and farther away from 
other ministries, uh, the partner ministries and churches and so forth. Um, but the integrated ministries, the ones that we're really, you know, emphasizing uh, when we talk about sacred playgrounds, um, still constitute about half of the Christian camps in the country. So it's the largest group. Group of that. Okay. So the question then is, is what does that matter? You know, the, each of these camps and these directors as they're listening and, and they're, they're in a bucket and, and maybe they're, maybe they're wondering about that. They're wondering about what bucket should we actually be in? And as I look out there and as I talk with parents and as I get questions like, you know, how, how Christian are you? Um, oh, we won't have an answer for that. We won't have a clear answer for that. Absolutely. And we need to have a clear answer for that. And this is when it comes down to mission and vision. Who are you? Who are you? You are part of the church. You are an expression of the church. And if you see yourself in that way, the question of how religious are you should be, that's the center of what we do. That's who we are. It defines who we are. Um, And why does it matter? Because we need these places more than ever. You know, we've talked about some of these things uh, on this podcast before about how camp, uh, Christian camping is a, a, a beautiful response to some of the, the biggest existential problems in our culture right now. You know, so we talked about technology and the, the, mm-hmm. the freedom from technology that camp uniquely offers. One of the things that camp uniquely offers is this opportunity for God encounters and for experiences of the holy. We don't have very many of those places anymore. And so uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Andrew Root, uh, talks about this um, in connection with Taylor's work, that we live in this secular three society where, you know, you can kind of opt out of religion. And what we need in the church are places to encounter God. Show me Jesus. Because we believe, we as Christians believe, that Christ transforms this world and that the work of the Holy Spirit transforms lives. So we transform lives by being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and we minister to one another and that changes the world. And people need to hear about that. And so Christianity is by its very nature an evangelicalistic religion because it needs to be shared. We need to minister to one another and bring God and bring Jesus into other people's lives through our very being. And we need to have Christ brought into our lives through the relationships with others. Now, the unique environment of a faith-centered camp allows the space for these unique God encounters because it is framed in Christian practices and Christian understanding. So I, 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 t- I talked about, you know, Taylor's understanding that we live now in a disenchanted world. In some ways, camp provides this, this space and time for a reexamination of that mm. and a re-understanding of how God is at work in the world, a re-enchantment in some ways. Um, so if we, if we are constantly living in the imminent frame in our day-to-day lives and people are assuming that things just have some mundane, you know, uh, answer you know, to the questions that we have in life. Um, at camp, we're constantly oriented to the holy. Where did you see God today? What is God up to in our lives? How is God at work in your life? Who is God creating you to be? And what this does is it transforms our very understanding. It transforms our very identity. Um, this, this who am I 
I am God's. I belong to Christ. God is at work in me. It doesn't matter how much this world is demanding of me or putting me down or whatever, because I belong to Christ and I have been redeemed eternally and unconditionally. Wow. Now, how then should I live my life? Right? It's, it's a, it's a re-understanding and a reorientation of uh, the, the fundamentals of, of, of personal identity and communal identity. So we need these spaces and camp can uniquely provide them because it's a 24 seven faith immersion experience. You're living and breathing the faith, the faith. So, you know, sometimes uh, we, we, we liken it to, uh, you know, like a language immersion experience. Um, and I know I owe this to my colleague, Kenda Creasy Dean, um, as she talks about camp um, in terms of this immersion experience. So, so you learn a foreign language, you know, you, you learn the vocabulary and whatever in class once a week or, you know, once a day, maybe. Um, but you don't really learn the language until you're embedded in um, an environment. Uh, you go on an immersion experience. So I didn't learn. Right. I learned Spanish. I learned the vocabulary, but I didn't really learn it until I was in Mexico, staying with a host family, speaking Spanish, thinking in Spanish, and then dreaming in Spanish. Hmm. Um, and so these faith immersion experiences are very uncommon in our, in our culture and society today. And camp provides one of those environments um, for days at a time um, where we are participating in faith practices, but also reflecting on our faith um, and what faith means in my life and who I am in relation to God and where God is at work in the world. And that helps re reorient me so that when I am um, away from camp, I can see God at work in other spaces as well. So camps become places of what, again, Dr. Andrew Rick calls uh, Christopraxis. Christopraxis being the, the being caught up in the ministry of Christ. And so that is in ministry to one another, um, seeing the other face to face, hearing their story, responding to that story in love, in concern, in care, and having that framed in a Christian perspective of God loves God loves you. I am called to love God and to love my neighbor. The two greatest commandments, right? Amen. So in this world, young people are not looking for a good enough God. You know, so that question of, you know, how Christian is it? How religious is it? We don't we don't need something that just gives us a little taste of, you know, oh, this is a this is a nice little part of my life. Um, we're looking for the God who created the world. We're looking for intimacy in the context of ultimacy, as James Loder talks about it. Mm. Um, we are looking for um, the God who is in control, who has created the world, who has redeemed the world. Um, we are looking for a faith that is worth dedicating our lives to. And that's what we have in the cross of Christ. Um, and, and we, and we need places of experience for this and, and camp is one of those places, maybe, maybe one of the best places, um, for these God encounters. The camp directors, church leaders hear this. It's, it's not time to be fuzzy about this. It's time to double down. It's time to double down on your identity, on the ways then that that story is told. Right, so so it's time to check in. It's time to check in on the headlines of your websites and brochures and the, the headlines of the words that you're saying. 
and Jesus should be absolutely on our lips. Right? The faith-centered focus, the, the orbital around Christ focus, rather than a piece of the pie, rather than one of the, one of the things that happens you know, during the day on the agenda, but the center. So both in how we tell that story, and um, it may even be you know, time to audit check our, our program too at the same time, right? Like, how, like, are we really doing a, are we doing what we need to do with debriefing these experiences, connecting them to God? Are we, you know, making sure before, during, and after that, um, that we are building this, this bridge to the one that made it all. So it's time to double down and, uh, and claim that identity. And people will sometimes frame this in terms of survival, you know, but I live in a secular area and, you know, only 63% of, of people are Christian anymore. And, you know, maybe if, if, if we're going to survive, we need to, you know, tamp down or de-emphasize this faith stuff. And I say, no, that is how you die. <laughs> you know, you are not called as a ministry to just survive. You know, there are ways that we can pivot, you know, and respond to the needs of the world mm-hmm. without changing who we are fundamentally. This world has not stopped its need for grace, for the gospel, for the power of the Holy Spirit. We need that more than ever. And so we need places like camp. Um, and absolutely, double down. Double down on this because the world needs Jesus. Yeah, it's city on a hill time for these places. So, And a reminder that if we live in a secular three society... It's one option among many, right? There are all these other camps that they could be choosing. They chose your camp. So make sure that you are living into who you are and some of your uniqueness. And one of those pieces is that you're a faith-centered camp. We'd love to hear how you wrestle with this. So wherever you're seeing this, wherever you're hearing this, whether it's sending us a comment or you know, adding it to a social media thread or something like that, we'd love to hear how you're wrestling with this, how you're, how you're coming up to these kinds of questions and conversations in in your particular space and we'll see you next time on the sacred playgrounds podcast thanks for listening to the sacred playgrounds podcast be sure to click the like follow or subscribe buttons anywhere you're listening to this right now this episode was produced by me jared rendell and featured dr jake Sorensen, lead researcher and founder at sacred playgrounds llc our theme music was written and performed by taylor wilson You can find his original songs anywhere you get your music. Learn more and connect with Sacred Playgrounds team at sacredplaygrounds.com.